Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. This morning, I want to jump into something. We are between series. We have finished the Goddess series and we are stepping into a new series called Around the Book of Philippians that we'll launch next week. And I just have a moment, and I want to speak into an area of both incredible excitement and incredible concern when I look at the church. And it's in this context, and it's the context of inheritance, walking into inheritances. It's in the context of powerful kingdom friendships. Because we can talk about community, we can do events, and we can have moments, and we can do a whole bunch of stuff. But actually, when I look at the Word and I read the Proverbs, because I've been spending time in the Proverbs, I'm astounded by the standard of friendship the Bible calls us to. There are many ships in the church, fellowship, stewardship. There are all these ships, but a key one, and I look at it, is friendship. And I want to read, we've got Acts 2 verse 42, I trust you know it, but it's a description, not a prescription of church. And how we do life together. We have that statement, doing life together. And sometimes we live up to it, and sometimes we fail dismally, but it doesn't mean we don't stop trying. It doesn't mean we don't stop preaching the gospel that calls us to a biblical standard and a biblical view of life together. And friendship is integral to that. So the message says it this way, everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles. If we just stopped there, we'd think the wonders and signs were just the miracles and the the creative healings. And I think it is all of that. But I think the miracles are also described in the next verses. And all the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. If that's not a miracle, then I don't know what is. They sold whatever they owned and pulled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added to those who were being saved. See, God has put the church on earth, not as a, as a, as a harbor where Christians can just chill out. We are designed as a ship for the high seas. We are designed for rescue missions where no one else will go. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's who we are. That that movie, The Guardian, where the small little rescue boat that can hold 12 people or 15 people goes out and puts 35 people on, and somehow they make it back in and everyone is saved. That is the church. But it calls us to some things. There are three biblical scenarios I want to bring to you. The first one is the people of God, the Israelites, of journeying through the desert. And you've seen, they know about the exodus, I hope, and you're under the miracles, and God releases them. And they walk for 40 years. And it's Moses hands over to Joshua, and Joshua's leading. And there's this amazing thing that happens. As they're entering the promised land, they're on the east side of the Jordan, and the promised land is on the west side of the Jordan. God's saying, you're going to go take your promised land. The Reubenites, the tribe of Gad, and the tribe of Manasseh, they decide... Actually, God is, this is good for us. We're going to have our inheritance this side. So they speak to Joshua and say, Joshua, our inheritance is this side. We are people who look after flocks. This is a great place for us. So they've reached their inheritance. But what had happened? God had said, you will take an inheritance on the other side of the river, on the west. So they hear the word of God and they say to Joshua and to the other leaders of the other tribes, they say, you know what? We know. We know that your inheritance is on that side, our inheritance here. What we will do, we will leave our women, our children, our people vulnerable 
Our warriors will come with you. They will cross a river. They will go into enemy territory. They will take the land and fight for your inheritance. We will risk death. We will risk cost. We will risk everything to fight for your inheritance. When last, sir, did you cross a river into enemy territory, tough territory, to fight for the inheritance of another? That will not benefit you. When did you do that? And when last, do you have someone in your life that will do that for you? Because when I look at the Bible, I see that as normal Christianity. I just see that as normal. And yet it's so foreign from our world's reality. The second biblical picture, I just want to paint a few pictures, a picture of partnership. And you've got the story, and I want to read from 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. Then as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, now Saul is the king, Jonathan is his son to be heir to the throne, David is this little kid who pops up with the grace of God in his life, defeats a giant. That's all that's happening here. It says the soul of Jonathan, the son, was knit to the soul of David, his friend, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and the armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul sent him over the men of war, set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also the sight of the servants. And it's all good. And there's this unbelievable friendship. But then what happens in the next verse? Saul's, Saul's jealousy begins to burn because the people start shouting, Saul has slayed thousands. David has slayed tens of thousands. And Saul's jealousy begins to burn and he starts going after David. But what do you see in the David and Jonathan relationship? It says a covenant was formed. But it's bigger than that. He gives him his robe. Understand, the son of the king gives his robe away. He is giving his authority to another. He is placing it on another's shoulders, his friend, because they're in covenant. They're on the same mission together. You see, in Jesus, the church are in covenant. Yes, on the way to, to the men's camp, I got to drive with Maurice from Nigeria, who studied political science and never played rugby. There could not be a more different man to me. He is slightly bigger than me and a lot darker, and I'm not. And yet in a three, two-hour, one-and-a-half-hour car ride, I got to share his life, and he got to share mine. And then in the backseat is Tanashe, who everyone calls Nash because he's a DJ, and he's DJ Nash. <laughs> and he tells me about his life in Harare and some of the difficulties and some of the challenges of entering a story here. You see what happened in one-and-a-half hours Covenant is reinforced with friendship. They are my friends. I've crossed rivers for them. Now, I didn't know them before. If not for the church, how would I know Maurice? If not for the church, how would I know Tanashe? But it's got to go beyond knowing. It's got to go into covenant making and covenant keeping friendship. Where he puts his robe and this is he gives him a sword. Joshua was a mighty warrior. He'd won many, many battles. He was an esteemed warrior. For him to give his sword to his friend, he's saying, this man is a mighty warrior. This man will lead the armies. Follow him. Then the last thing that I want to mention, he, he, or two things, he gives him his bow. 
It tells us earlier in the book of Samuel that, that this man, Joshua, was a mighty bowman, an unbelievably skilled bowman. He gives his greatest weapon of victory to his friend. And then he gives his belt, the seal of authority, the belt of authority and kingship in a land to him. You know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, this is my friend. I'm in covenant. We're on a mission together, and I want the best for the people of God. So I'm telling you, even though I am son and heir to the throne, he is your future king. When last did you see friendship that humble, experience friendship that generous? The last situation is Jesus is ministering in a house. And I'm not going to read the scriptures in Mark 2. And, and there's four friends, and they've got their friend who's paralyzed. You know the story, I hope, but if you don't, it's amazing. And they can't get in because the doors are full. Sometimes the doors of our hearts and the doors of our homes and the doors of our lives are full. Sometimes our so-called circles are full. And God says, actually, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give him four friends. And they're going to climb the roof. And they're going to pull back the tiles of the roof. And they're going to lower their friend down at personal cost. The cost that they would not get in and hear Jesus. What's he saying? What's he saying? But we're going to lower our friend down who's paralyzed because he can't get there himself. And Jesus sees this man and he sees the faith of his friends. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And instantly he's healed. And instantly he's made whole and he walks. Who are you lowering to Jesus, sir? No, I just, I just come to church and I get him. No, no, no. When I look at the Bible, who are you lowering to Jesus? Someone who's paralyzed. I don't know if you've ever had a paralyzed friend or a disabled friend. It's difficult sometimes to communicate. It's difficult to do the normal things. These four men chose to have a paralyzed friend. They chose to pay a price to lower him down. But you know what? One day... They'll need to be lowered down. Maybe it won't be physically paralyzed. Maybe it'll be emotionally paralyzed, financially paralyzed, relationally paralyzed. But there will be a day when we will need friends of this earth. You see, this is the most important relationship. Don't get me wrong. But it is outworked in this relationship. That's why all the epistles of John deal with relational tensions, relational realities, because God puts us into his church. He says, I'm going to use this church on earth as a sign and a wonder pointing to an awesome God. So this morning, I suppose my concern is I had a coffee with a man. He's here this morning. I had a, a coffee with him, and I said, who are your friends, sir? And he said, well, I don't really have friends. It's not an indictment on him. It's an indictment of the situation and us getting values and priorities right. And I've, that, that statement has sat on me like, heavily because I've had rich relationships. I've got to be honest. But it's cost me a lot cost me a lot. Are you prepared to pay a cost to lower friends down so that you can have rich relationships this morning? See, I, I want to jump into some of the Proverbs because the challenge is, yeah, let me read some of the Proverbs. Proverbs 17, verse 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born in adversity. Proverbs 18, verse 24, one who has unreliable friend soon comes to ruin but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Chapter 26. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. 
Verse 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Verse 14, he who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned a curse to him. Verse 17, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Chapter 28, he who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. Chapter 29, a man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. I read these Psalms. In the book of uh, Psalms, Proverbs, sorry, it's been a long weekend. <laughs> and um, I read these Proverbs, and we've just done a series of who God is determines who we are. We don't get to choose. We get to become the image of whom we are made in. And then I read these scriptures and I'm challenged because I look and I see the powerful potential of friendship in these scriptures. And the Bible suggests, not me and not someone who's pro-friendships, the Bible suggests that you won't make it in life unless you are able and good at choosing, forging, and developing and having great friendships. It's quiet in here. <laughs> it's very quiet in here. Because actually we're not good at this, guys. Because actually you know and I know that friendships are costly potentially. Actually because you and I know that there's a long journey for every one of us in this regard. But I've got to preach the Bible. Proverbs 18 verse 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes, soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. When you understand, see we sing that song and we think that friend is Jesus. It could only be Jesus. It doesn't say it's Jesus. It's not a capital F. It's a friend. In Hebrew culture, to throw a statement like that into Hebrew culture is unbelievably challenging because Hebrew culture, as you would know, is unbelievably built around the foundation of the family. We take time, it's just the family. And we invest in the family. We keep money in the family and invest and we set people up for victory. That's Hebrew culture. It's been there for decades, centuries. So to throw a statement like, uh, like this that says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That sticks is the same word to cleave. It's the same word used for a husband and wife sticking together, cleaving together. It's a high level of intimacy. It says there is a friend into Hebrew culture where family is everything that sticks closer than a brother. Chapter 17, verse 17, a friend who loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. See, here's the challenge. Siblings have to care about you. You didn't choose them. I didn't choose three very loud vocal sisters older than me. I didn't choose that. That wasn't my choice. God didn't say, what would you like? Because I probably, anyway. And, um, and uh, <laughs> they might listen to this. Love you. And um, I probably wouldn't have chosen that just being honest. I didn't choose my family. I didn't choose my lineage. I got birth because in heaven there is a, a glorious chess player who moves our lives and orchestrates and facilitates our lives. And he places us in family, yes. But you and I know, family, you can phone. It's all good. You just shoot the breeze. And when time comes, they will be there, yes. But friends, you choose and they choose you. Friends, there's something like you're sitting down and you're talking and, and they say something and Emmanuel says something and, and it sparks in me something. You know what that something is in the kingdom of God? It's Jesus. 
It's Jesus, his lordship, his kingdom, and what he has done in my life and what he's calling us to. And I've told this story before, but I had a very close group of friends. We all got discipled together. We all got saved together. We all got involved in the church together. We did missions together at 19, 18, 19, 20. We gave our lives to Jesus. But we turned 23, 24, 25. People started making money. People started getting success. People started getting profile. And we had a tradition that we started when we were young and we had no bucks. We'd go for cheap meals at Christmas to have a Christmas dinner together. But as we got older, the, the meals got more extravagant and the, and the conversations became more about the, pres- the properties we were buying the jobs and the promotions we got, and the dreams in our heart. And I went to my wife and said, I'm struggling with this. So I called my closest friends together, this group of friends. I said, guys, I love you. But the thing that brought us together was Jesus and his kingdom and his story and not your kingdom and your investments. If we can only get together and talk about our investments in our kingdom, I'm telling you, this is not the friendship I bought into. And I'll be honest, it wasn't unbelievably well-received. At first. But I work with those men now. They are building kingdom stories. And God wants to pull us back into kingdom stories and kingdom friendships with kingdom dynamic impact. See, we live in an individualistic, liberal culture of uh, as long as I just, I don't have to touch, I don't have to feel. We don't need that closeness. There doesn't have to be a sticking And that comes into the church. And as long as I show face, I make a noise, and I duck, everyone thinks I'm good. But I look at the Bible, and I look at what God gives us, and he says, actually, I want to give you wisdom. See, the challenge is we live in a space where as long as it's fine, how much do I have to, God? I mean, I ask my kids to go clean up after the dog in the garden. How much? Maybe one. No, all of them, boy. Okay, two. No, all of them. Okay, three, Dad. You're seven. Pick them all up. We go to God like that. Like, how much do I have to? Like, do I have to meet with that person? They, they got nothing for me, God. Let's be honest. Often, and the world's way of choosing friends is, what have they got for me? That's why for successful, rich people, it's hard to decipher and build friendships in this world. It's got to be different in the church. It's got to be different. And God is calling us by his word into something more. Please don't hear anything other than a pastor's heart today. Paul wrote scriptures. He wrote books to cities of churches with concerns in his heart for them. Today, there's something deep inside of me that is a concern. That we've settled for something in a standard of this world that doesn't match up to the design. Is that all right? We want to build something where real friendship can, that, that, that cannot only be forged, it must be discovered. You've got to discover friendship. Are you open and available to discovering friendship? Because it's easy to come to church and you sit and it's arms folded and don't talk to me. I'm in the Bible. I'm really holy. And uh, it's like, and I'm just, it's me and God. And then I go home. It's not the design, friend. It's not the design. We need color. We need diversity. We need your noise. We need your quietness. We need your extrovertness. We need your introvertness. We need it all. Why? Because that whole picture gets mixed together like a glorious paint mix. And together comes a sign and wonder that shows the world that there's something different about the God they serve. That's called the gospel. That's called community. And friendship is integral to this. So four quick statements about true friendship. 
The first one is an element of consistency. 17 verse 17, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born in a time of adversity. At all times, there's love. That means there's a consistent line. When I, and I remember Chris Beanart, I heard him say it years ago when I was 15 years old. He said, be careful your new best friend who's always got a new best friend. Because you will soon be their new ex-best friend. Pretty good advice. You, you cannot be a friend without being available. And we hide behind busyness, and we hide behind difficulties, and we hide, I've got to invest in my family. Yes, you do, sir. But actually, you need a friend who can speak into your life, and we'll speak about that now. You need a friend who can call you to the Scriptures. You can need a friend that when you're falling asleep and you're getting apathetic, can call you back to the Gospel story. David needed a friend that before he fell with that, um, that lady, there was a friend close by. You, his friends were fighting on the battle lines. They were on the front lines fighting the enemy. He's at home. Unavailable. Got to be honest, there's a little bit of pain in this message for me. The last years, I've lost two of my best friends through their decisions and actions, and, uh, and their wives are my wife's best friends. And I've got to look at the scriptures and say, God, what happened there? What, what happened there? Both of them, when I heard something was going down, I got on a plane at personal cost to fly to Durban. I said, you're meeting me tonight. No, 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 you're meeting me, otherwise I'll find you. The one guy, I sat outside his house and hooted. God's calling us to something that will be painful. To be honest, there's something feels like it's been ripped out. But I know Jesus heals. And I know Jesus says, well, I've got to wrap you up again. I've got to get you whole again so you can do it again. You can invest again. You can get on a plane again, cross a river again, fight the enemy again. But one of the aspects of being that friend is a friendship that is not a means to an end, but the friendship is the end. See, if the friendship is always a means to an end, you're never going to make friends with someone who cannot benefit you in your lens and grid. But when the friendship is the end, you'll find that rich people can learn a hell of a lot from poor people about Jesus. And we tend to live in a world where it's the other way around, but I'm telling you, I think the lessons to be learned are generally flipped on their head. The second point I would say, it comes from verse, chapter 26, verse 18 and 19. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives the neighbor and says, I was only joking. Do you get it? It's, it's we do these dangerous things in friendships. We play with friends. We play with people's emotions. And they would say, oh, I was only joking. We, we, are, we are emotionally connected with our family. There's an emotional connection. My one sister moved away. I, I've never lived in the same city as her since I was 18. No, she was 18. I was 10. So I don't know her that well, to be brutally honest. But there's an emotional connection. It's the same with a friendship forged in covenant in Jesus. There's an emotional connection where you, cannot, you, you can't play with people's emotions. And, and I remember Rory and I preaching a preach once, loose lips sink ships. I want to tell you that loose lips sinks friendships. And if you cannot get a, a, a control of your lips and, your, and you aren't a safe space for people, 
you'll find that your emotions and your relations will always remain on a shallow level. And you always wonder why. Is this all right? You're very quiet this morning. I'm feeling two more points, and then I'm going to wrap it up, and we're going to have communion. Honesty is a kingdom-advancing friendship attribute. Chapter 27, verse 5. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. When he says open rebuke, I don't think that's an open letter on Facebook. Just saying. I don't think that's what he's talking about. So I've got a friend named Gabe Phillips, who I love. I really do. I love him. And um, I invited some guys to speak into my life. And, and Gabe spoke and he said, twice in the last six months you were tired and I heard you speak strongly with your wife. And he's right. And uh, I'm trying to hide it. It doesn't happen all the time, but when I'm tired, that's, that's probably my thing. I can get a little straight. Get to the point. Let's do this. And when he spit, but to hear someone else say it to you, it's hard. To hear someone else see it, have thought about it, and find the courage to speak it out. It's hard. But I left that conversation feeling loved, cared for. You know why? Because he's fighting for my wife. Because he's prepared to challenge me to fight for my wife. And I can rest in that friendship. And I believe the best always. Because I look back and I see a friend who's been prepared to challenge me. And Wayne phoning me and challenging and, and Rion. And I need those friends. You need those friends. We need those friends who will be honest with you. Why? Because faithful are the wounds of a friend. Have you got some wounds from friendships? Because if you don't, I'd say you probably don't have deep friendships because that's what the Bible suggests. Good wounds, wounds that lead to healing, wounds that lead to change. It says a man, verse chapter 29, who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his friends. Setting someone up for chaos. It's just flattery. It's just pouring out. It's just, just going to be nice all the time. I want to be that guy. I want to be liked. Want to win people over. I like being liked. But the Bible says a man who flatters is spreading a net. Don't live in the world of flattery. Be honest. And it's hard. And I know it's harder for some than for others, but I'm telling you, it's hard for everyone. And it's a biblical mandate for friendship. And the last one is counsel. And it says this amazing scripture it says that the the pleasantness of one friend's, uh, it, it speaks about the sweetness. What was that one scripture I read? Um, sorry, I want to read. Oil and perfume make a heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Now the amazing thing about that scripture is in the day of writing this, there, were no, there was no sugar. It didn't exist. There were no sweeteners, no candorel, no aspartamine. didn't exist. So to taste something sweet, generally food wouldn't be sweet. And when you would eat an, an apple or something sweet, it would be, wow, that is sweet. And he says that actually the, 
the sweetness, it's the sweetness of a friendship. It's the secrets. It's the ability to hold that counsel. Are you safe again with counsel? Are you seeking counsel? Are you seeking counsel from friends? It says a fool, a fool doesn't seek counsel from his friends. And I see people making, walking life and prayer meetings and all that, making massive life decisions. And they don't need to sit with me, but they have friends. They have people, there are people in business here who've gone way further than others. There are people in marriages here that have gone way further than others. There are people in friendships that have gone way further. There are people in, in gifts of the Spirit that have gone way further. And yet we kick out from all that counsel. And the Bible says a fool kicks out of that counsel. Doesn't mean every word dictates your life at all. That's not the meaning. But I look at this and I say friendship calls us to more of Jesus and a greater kingdom story and ultimately an inheritance on the other side of that. But it's going to cost you crossing a river. It's going to cost you breaking open the roof and lowering your paralyzed friends down or being lowered down by your friends. So I, I trust there are two things happening in your heart today. One is a feeling of longing, a desire for this. Maybe you're amazing at friendship. Maybe you're all these things. I trust there's still a longing to be that person to keep pouring out, to keep crossing rivers, to keep paying prices. Maybe there's some wounds in your story that have called you to pull back a bit. I'm just, I'm a bit nervous of people, so I'm going to pull back. I'm a bit nervous. Look what they did. I'm going to pull back, and it's just going to be in me and my family. We're going to make it small, keep it safe. And into that culture, God writes, better as a brother formed in adversity. So there's a sense of longing. The second one is I hope it's super challenging because I've got to go to the scriptures, come under the scriptures and say, how do I measure up? See, we love doing this and we find what we want, but actually the scriptures come over us and the authority of the scripture determines who I am. It determines that role, that, it determines that walk. I don't get to choose what kind of friend. I'm, I'm going to be a gossip today and I'm going to be this tomorrow. I don't get to choose that. I am, I am a son of the living God, and I'm under the authority of the King of Kings. That's who I am. And He speaks. And lastly, how do we do this? Will we go back to the beginning and say, God walked with us in the garden. You know what the Hebrew context of a friend is? Walking together. That's the description of friendship. Walking together. We have a friend the ultimate friend, the perfect, faithful friend. You sang all his attributes this morning. And you're saying, maybe you've not been a good friend. Maybe you don't know how to receive friendship. Maybe you're scared. Well, understand that God is our greatest friend. And then we get Jesus, who the Father says, Jesus, you, you, you've got to go to hell. Otherwise, you're going to lose your friends. You've got to go on that cross You've got to die, and you've got to spend some time in hell. And the friendship that you have for me, I'm going to turn my head from you. He says, but if you don't do that, Jesus, you're going to lose your friends. And Jesus says, I'll go to that cross for my friends. You want to know how to be a friend? Read about Jesus. Don't read books about how to friend and seven points by some guy. Read about Jesus. See Jesus. Be captivated by Jesus. And I promise you, it'll just flow. And the courage will come. 
The people he came to die for crucified him. They crucified him. And yet he still pulls us into the big story of the gospel. Make Jesus the friend your heart desires, and you will have all the friends you need. It's that simple. That's the gospel. The gospel just doesn't impact my Sundays. It doesn't impact just how, what I do with my money. It doesn't impact. It impacts everything. It changes everything. And one thing it's got to change in us, in me, sir. I'm reading the scriptures and I'm feeling the weight of these scriptures. It's got to change our perspective on the potential of friendship. That's more than acquaintance. That's more than a knowledge of. 